<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of the man that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast. August 19th. One of Star Trek's biggest icons. Or celebrity fans. Or both. We'll be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. Today's quote is read by Star Trek, the next generation star, the absolutely legendary Whoopi Goldberg. No, ancient astronauts did not build pyramids. Human beings built them because they're clever and they work hard. And Star Trek is all about those things. Welcome back to our podcast, Quoting Gene Roddenberry. We are lucky enough to have Tamara Krinsky, Emmy award-winning writer-actor, <laughs> Tamara Krinsky. And I, listen, I'm just going to jump in and say I love this quote mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. And it may confuse some people that the man who created Star Trek is saying, no, that wasn't science fiction. But I, I personally love this quote because as a child, right, the, the space program was kind of a big deal, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I see why we tied. It's the aliens <laughs> that built our pyramids and all this right. stuff because we were so hungry to go to outer space and meet aliens. But the truth is it's based in racism, and that's the God's honest truth because if those pyramids were sitting in the middle of England or France, it would be how great our white European forefathers yep. were. But because they were on the continent of Africa— we like to go, no, that black people could not have created that. And that is why it is so amazing that Whoopi Goldberg is reading this quote. I love her so much. All right, I'm going to shut up now and let someone else. Uh, Tamara, what's your thoughts on this quote? Uh, first, I just have to say how much I love Whoopi Goldberg so, so much. Mm-hmm. I grew up watching. Um, I had a, this is going to date me. I had a VHS tape of her Broadway show. And wow. I would just watch oh! it. Me too, Tamara. Me too. The one with the hair. Sorry, would, guys. The one with the hair. Where, <laughs> the one with she, the hair. She, okay, so I'm like, yes. you all can't see me, but I'm a white girl explaining this, so we'll just get that out of the way. Um, She had this, it, it's basically a show that consists 1984 of, was the show on Broadway, by the way. And it was four monologues, and one of them was about her wanting to be white. And she, she mm. the whole sort of gimmick of it was that, or through line of it, was that she talked about how she would take this white t-shirt, and she would put it on her head, and pretend that was her long blonde hair. And she long, luxurious blonde hair. But Tamara, I don't remember her saying in that monologue, and I'll have to go back and listen to it. Did she want to be white or did she just want long, luxurious blonde hair? I'll have to go back and listen to it, but I do remember a particular phrase about, I, re- I can remember the way she said white, but it, it's gotcha. been a while since I've listened yeah, to it, so yeah, yeah. I do not want to get that wrong. I, I do not want to get anything with Whoopi I Ross, love so. that you know that show because this is the show Steven Spielberg discovered her. Well, she's already on Broadway, right? So she was successful. But this is the show that got her color purple. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Which goes back to this quote and this idea of being clever and working hard, which mm-hmm. is why she's the perfect person to talk about this, right? Well, it is interesting that Gene Roddenberry, the, the, arguably the one of the kings of sci-fi, 
is rejecting or at least not rejecting, but he's not uh, co-opting this idea that a lot of other sci-fi writers do uh, about this whole idea that aliens came to this planet, you know, millions of years ago and taught humans how to build pyramids. That's why there are pyramids in Egypt. And that's why there are pyramids in Central America. And that must be the connection because it's aliens like that. This ain't no Stargate. Yeah, like that is a trope <laughs> that sci-fi does often. And Gene Roddenberry saying no. Uh, in one of our earlier quotes, he talked about his love affair with humanity. And this is another one of his quotes where he's making that very, very clear that not only does he love and respect humanity, but he wants to make sure that we give ourselves credit for as smart and clever and hardworking as we can be, as we are. And I've always been fascinated with uh, like the pyramids and all of that. And it, it it's funny because it never occurred to me that like why I don't understand the idea of why we think that or why some people would think or tell the stories that aliens were are responsible for the pyramids when we see what we have created in our modern times like our modern uh, buildings and skyscrapers and and all of the, the things that that humans have uh, achieved in you know the, the small blip of time that we've been on this planet so far uh, it, it, it doesn't surprise me especially when you consider, how hardworking we can be if we work as a community. Although I do realize that the Egyptian pyramids weren't necessarily built on community. They were built on slavery. Let's be honest about that. But human <laughs> beings are clever and we are uh, capable of more. One than... of my favorite things about all these quotes, though, from Mr. Roddenberry is his belief and faith mm -hmm. in humans. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I don't know when this quote was from. But many of these other quotes are like, no, humans, you got it. We'll get this. By by this time, we'll have dealt with these petty mm -hmm. things that we're dealing mm -hmm. with. And in this quote, it's literally saying, like, human beings built them because we're clever and we work hard. And we will build even bigger and better things. And it also reminds me that we forget that the ancient Romans had aqueducts with toilets and water. Mm -hmm. And then all that shit was lost. Right. Yeah. Pioneers were walking yeah. around with like a chair and a thing underneath to, to go in. And so we have lost and gained many old skills mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. And this harkens to that because I always think it's weird that like the Dark Ages, all that all that we learned before that kind of kind of Got went away. away. Yeah. Lost yeah. in time. Yeah. But I think that brings up a really interesting connection to the Star Trek universe in general, which is this idea of the connection between science and science fiction mm -hmm. and knowledge, because, you know, so many scientists have talked about how watching Star Trek inspired them to go into engineering, to go into space, mm -hmm. to go into physics. Mm -hmm. And so this idea in some ways that Mr. Roddenberry would say, no, no, it's human ingenuity kind of makes sense because yeah. you see that infused in all of the Star Trek world. Yeah. And when you're writing in science fiction, even though it is fictional science, it has to make kind of sense for you to believe it. One of our earlier guests, uh, Mary Chifo, she mentioned uh, when she guest hosted with us that one of her very good friends dedicated her master's thesis to Captain Catherine Janeway because she, so, she was so inspired by the character of Star Trek's first female captain in a series that she dedicated her thesis to that fictional character, which I think speaks a lot about, about how much science fiction can inspire actual scientists to not only uh, uh, bring that, that science fiction to reality, but to maybe inspire them to think even beyond that and 
uh, discover something even greater than what the stories were. So two quick things. So one is one of my favorite quotes that I'm totally going to paraphrase and do badly (laughs) is the idea that good science fiction creates a world that sets up a series of rules. And then it follows those rules so that you can then take the what if leap with them. You have to keep that what if world that you, you have to keep those rules consistent so that we as the audience will, will go on the leap of what if and suspend our disbelief for wherever you go with it. So that's one thing. And I really do believe that about, I think the best sci-fi operates in that way. The other thing I was going to say is there's one of the organizations that I've worked with here in Hollywood. There's a group called the Science and Entertainment Exchange. Mm. And they are a program of the National Academy of Sciences, which is actually a private group. It sounds governmental. It's not. But they are an incredible organization where they connect scientists to do consultations with writers and directors and producers who are creating things that... That, you know, it can be anything from, you know, a CSI that is setting up a new forensics room and needs a forensic scientist just to kind of take a look at their set design mm-hmm. to, you know, movies that deal with physics like Ant-Man. And they wow. want to talk about the multiverse and how that might work and things down at the quantum physics level. And the amazing thing is, you know, I've interviewed some of these scientists I've sat in and, and talked about their consultations with them, is that depending on how they want to use them, so much of the time they'll put something that is a real piece of science out there. Mm. And then the writer, she'll take it, she'll run with it. And that informs the story. Wow. So it's exactly what you're talking about, Trent. That's Tamara, fantastic. have you ever interviewed my friend, Bill Prady? He's one of the producers of The Big Bang Theory. I and, have, yeah. um, Yeah, he's a great guy. And literally, I love how he nerds out, not over any actors who've been on the show. It is the scientists. (laughs) Well, that is the luxury of meeting via the through through the show. That's the funny thing about these events. Like you go and they'll have, you know, sort of a round robin where where sometimes they do what they call science speed dating, where they will bring, you know, eight (laughs) different scientists and the audience is all storytellers and we'll rotate room to room. I mean, this was, of course, in the before times when we could be in the same room. Um, But we'll rotate room to room and you'll get like a seven minute, you know, glimpse into what their research is. And it's so funny because you can tell when one of the scientists says something that is sort of has an interesting germ of a story idea, because all of a sudden you kind of hear this collective like, <gasps> and or like you'll hear pencils start scratching or things start tapping. And That's so well, the great. People for, forget, or I'm sorry to jump in, but I want to say like when I was a kid and I'd be in science class and you're taught something and I thought it was facts, the rules, the name of that dinosaur is that, mm-hmm. the name of this thing is you know newly discovered thing is this and then as I grew older everything changed mm-hmm. I realized as an adult like it science is theory yeah right yeah. like most of science is very theoretical so it kind of goes hand in hand that science fiction and science would be so tied but listen I want to round this because you touched on it Trent and um because I'm black I'm gonna harp on this part of why it was so easy to say the pyramids were aliens and all these things is because I do find it's very easy to disparage societies, you know, who didn't have the same kind of written down culture the way Eurocentric things. Like everything I was taught in school was Eurocentric, mm-hmm. hands mm-hmm. down, everything to the fact that in my textbooks it said slaves like slavery because they had houses. Mm-hmm. So this is important uh, to realize and to start putting together the pieces because it's so easy as a little kid to go, it's just because we're, we were God on the moon. And that's why we thought everything was aliens. 
But it's a little more insidious than that quite often in life about why we disparage uh, the accomplishments of brown people. <laughs> and soapboxy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think there's also, I mean, there's something in there too about the idea that there are all different kinds of wisdom in the world, right? You know, you mentioned before, like there's book knowledge. There are things that we write down. There's wisdom that's passed through oral tradition. Yes. There's wisdom that's passed through pictorial tradition. There is, I mean, when you look at the indigenous indigenous communities here in the United States and the different ways they have of healing, and they're unfortunately in our lovely country's history and in white history, there has been a devaluing of that. And I'm very happy to see some of that starting to be corrected. We still got a long, long way to go, yeah. but we're—I mean, at least we're—at least we're freaking talking about it, yes, right? Like exactly that's right. We're having there. the conversations now, and I said, no matter what your politics is, I'm not asking if you voted or didn't vote for this person, but I would say that horrible orange thing that happened, <laughs> right? Uh, which I thought was terrible, but. It uh, put it right in front of people's eyes because I've spent my entire life going, hey, you guys, this thing happened to me and it's kind of racist. And a lot of my uh, white peers were like, no, it didn't. And you can't say, no, it didn't anymore. Right. right. You have to say it's here. It's in front of my face. I can't ignore it. And um, I don't mean to get heavy at the end of this because this quote was read by the very amazing and comedic Whoopi Goldberg. It's just, you know, I have this platform now, right? Yeah. And so I feel inspired to speak up about it because there may be someone listening who's like, oh, wow, I never thought about why it was so easy to go. A human couldn't build that, certainly not in Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. uh, just food for thought, you guys. Any last thoughts, both of you, before, um, before we wrap this episode up? Uh, the one last thing I want to say is I'm very excited that uh, that would be read this quote for us. And I'm also very excited that she's reprising her role as Guinan in Picard yes! season two. So we have more Whoopi to look forward to in the Star Trek universe. So I'm very excited about that. Same. I totally agree. I love that characters come back. It makes me so happy. Yeah. No, me too. Whenever I'd watch her, I'd be like, I want to be baby Guinan. I just love her. But I've let her entire career yeah, absolutely. is a testament to tenacity. Because mm-hmm. she's been canceled a few times, frankly, mm-hmm. yep. over the years before social media, you know, or actually after social media too. So she is, to me, an ultimate survivor uh, in life and in Hollywood. Anyway, we want to thank you guys so much for joining us. And if you want to see the video of my idol and so many others idol, Whoopi Goldberg, read this quote. Trent, tell them where to go. You can check out our videos on our official Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we have tomorrow with us all week. So we hope you join us again for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us, post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, 
Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.